Hello, I'm Pete Ramey, CEO of the X4 Group, and you're listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. With me today is Dax Grant. Recognized for her skills in digitizing businesses, Dax has held a variety of executive positions within FTSE 100, Fortune 500, and financial services organizations. If that wasn't enough, Dax is a member of the Forbes Technology Council and recognizes a powerless 100 keynote speaker. Today, we're going to discuss how businesses, big and small, can foster an entrepreneurial culture. Dax, thanks so much for being with me. How are you today? And if you wouldn't mind, maybe giving the listeners a brief summary of your career journey today. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, I am very well today. Very much looking forward to our conversation and enjoyed our conversations to date. So a little bit about background and me. Um, I, I guess I was the, the girl from the mining village. I couldn't speak a word of English. Um, I ended up collecting three degrees, um, went to work for some really interesting organisations, um, was lucky enough to have a couple of beautiful children um, there were some tough days, there were some smiley days, um, and I guess all of that sort of finds us here today with a little bit of all the things you've talked about. Absolutely. When I look through your career history, it's fair to say that there hasn't been loads and loads that you haven't been exposed to and working within at some stage or the other. There are obviously some extremely big roles where you've been ultimately accountable for a, a very large operation, and there's been some businesses that you've been involved in where it's much more of the startup and advisory type of capacity. If you wouldn't mind maybe just sharing a little bit more in relation to where the crux of your experience and, and, and expertise lies. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, actually, Peter. And people will look at me and go, one minute she's looking after the technology for 69,000 people around the world. Um, the next minute she's into ventures and sort of working through that advisory, all sort of different shapes and sizes, setting up firms and going through business plans. And then, you know, she's suddenly in the commercial side of things and, and, and working through that. She knows tech, she knows ops. How can she do all these things? She's run a strat team and, and she's an on-exec. The, the honest answer is my leadership formula is exactly the same. And it doesn't matter what the role is, what the position is, the actual formula to um, being, you know, in a leadership position, it's it's um, irrespective of, of really where the position sits, it's about a leadership methodology. Uh, and it's one of the things that I'm um, sharing at the moment in terms of, you know, key CEOs traits that you really need in that leadership position to be very clear with the people that you, you work with, very clear in your marketplace and very authentic and, and therefore you know, you kind of take the formality out of it once you've got that leadership model. And then, you know, people follow and want to join and build and co-build that vision in the in the in the business that you're in. And that's really exciting. And I guess that takes all the movement out of it because the formula, you know, the DAX leadership formula is exactly the same. The things that I've noticed from your um from your background of digitization, uh a CEO, um uh, you know, advice and leadership through that guys. But I'm really interested to hear that this leadership methodology and a model that you use, whatever the guys that you're going into, undoubtedly would have taken, and probably still is, a work in the making of how effective it is, the journey that you've gone on to create this methodology and this method and this approach. And therefore, the thing that we're going to talk about today, entrepreneurship, is I'm, I'm fascinated where that fits in as to why this is for you as an individual such an important thing that 
um, CEOs and other senior leaders in businesses think about? I would say kind of a, a couple of things. So the, the model in itself, when I, you know, when I when I was young, I had a dream. I wanted to, you know, accomplish all of these different things, and and part of it was, you know, about attaining um, certain positions that would be influential in industry. Now, the advice I got was totally contrary to anything I thought about, uh, which I smiled at the time because you kind of grow up quite rational and all of those different things. But they said to me, look. You know, if you want to be really good in board positions and driving businesses and all the rest of it, you've got to go and work on yourself um, in respect of that. And it wasn't about going to, you know, a, a leading um, business school or a, a leadership course. It was really about getting to know yourself and how you work and how, how you tick and therefore how you relate to other people and all of those different things. And this isn't a model where you get it all right, by the way, but knowing where you are in that positioning really, really does help. So I guess as part of the you know, the formal things that you do is one thing, but really understanding kind of how all that DNA fits together is really important. And also knowing how you're wired and knowing where you need to wire and where you need to unwire and, and actually change your mindset in order to, um, you know, attain the next level of excellence that you want for yourself, your team, your function and the business. So the, there's a little bit of that. And, and I guess the other side of it is, you know, playing into the entrepreneurial agenda is I hear so much about entrepreneurship and I hear so many different interpretations of it. And I, I talk a, a little bit about this in my latest podcast as well, which is, you know, you've got large organisations where, you know, you've got lots of folks in a, in a hive of activity. Often that can turn into a very process-based approach rather than an entrepreneurial approach. So the entrepreneurial approach is really looking outwards to the industry, to the business, and it's not only looking outwards in today's time frame, but it's going, this is today's business model. What's tomorrow's business model? Where are we now? So we're going to make it work and tick for today, but then we also need some more. We don't want to be, you know, um, outplaced in the market. So we've got to take that mindset forward. And so, you know, some people will say to me, the size of your business is your USP. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not about size at any, but it's about knowing your market positioning and creating that culture that really curious culture, still value-based, don't get me wrong, it's not about innovating for everything, but having that curiosity and being able to, you know, instill that as a as an executive leader in a large multinational or take that into the venture space, which is very exciting too, but you've got to be on your game in that venture space. You've got to know your numbers, you've got to know your business and you've got to know how it fits together. So, that's very different in all of those spaces. And I'm so grateful for all the different folks that I've met because they've all come up with different angles on that and something that I'm sharing back with the world now. I want to come back to that big word that you used earlier, awareness. There was a quite awesome podcast, um, uh, the High Performance Podcast, the Jake Humphreys one, but where he had um, Mr. Hoffman on, who was the former chief marketing officer of Nike, and he'd been with them on a really interesting journey. And he he gave the word excellence to to mean or like you know a personal excellence and how, how you feel like you've 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 done well in your careers, taking yourself firstly taking yourself beyond what you thought was possible, and then as a leader having ultimate awareness in relation to what you are, who you are, what you're good at. And that was something that's it's really spun off on a, quite a lot of conversations internally within our business of, ooh, what quantifies a decent leader or an excellent leader. And actually the more chats we've had, the more that we realize that, wow, yeah, actually awareness sits incredibly high towards the top of that tree. So that's something I want to come back to. Dax, in terms of your definition of what entrepreneurial 
traits are and how businesses do it well what do you what do you quantify that as so for me entrepreneurship is about having a thirsty internal culture that's focused on understanding the customer the client the marketplace and it also fosters lots of really healthy conversations a lot of them informal um, but really understanding the value of that particular business and therefore where it's particularly going to play in the marketplace. So this particularly comes out, I guess, in the venture space where, you know, you're typically building out a platform. You've got to know what your USP is and you've got to be able to create that culture in the team. But it's about creating that in a fun way, creating those values and, and not in a in a way where, you know, you go sit for a three hour presentation on what the value set is. But it's about how you treat each other day to day and having that curious mindset to be able to gently challenge on things and, and, and build them out to the new kind of next new norm and the next visionary state but also being very practical to go we're in business we've got to make uh, you know money to break even all of those sorts of things and being able to break that out so a lot of it is cultural but a lot of it is making sure you're outwardly focused and navigating in the firm whether you're the CEO uh, whether you're on the ground developing whatever it might be and having that really cohesive culture irrespective of the size or shape of the organization yeah absolutely and as you say um prevention better than cure is too straightforward a phrase for this but ultimately it's going to be very very hard to encourage entrepreneurial thinking and activity if your culture just isn't in line with being able to support that but the other thing that i know from our own journey we've gone from three of us to again we're a teeny tiny business compared to the type of numbers that you've mentioned already we're only uh, north of you know north of 200 now but the reality is i know that it's much easier when you're 30 people big and 50 people big compared to when you start getting over 100 definitely over 150 and when you get to over 200 it is very easy for the detail and the minutiae to get in the way of having a setup that allows for people to really give their best for, from an entrepreneurial standpoint so one of the things i'd be very interested to pick your brains on dax is you've worked and have been responsible for sixty-nine thousand people in one role you've also seen startups and you've seen them from the from the bottom up what are the bits that businesses and again maybe feel like we've touched on one of these areas already but what are the what, what are the ways and the methods that organizations can make sure that even with large-scale growth and a lot of the businesses that we're working with also going through large-scale growth that entrepreneurial traits and culture doesn't get lost in the inevitable clash with the fact that the bigger that you get the more processes are going to have to be brought in so i'd be fascinated to hear your thoughts on that uh, i love your questions peter um I, I mean it's interesting i have you know just to, to put the record straight i've served sixty nine thousand people i've, I've um, you know that that's been the big yeah. from the technology perspective and and that's been really important because they've been spread around the globe so it's not necessarily about physical proximity either but you know i've equally worked in venture firms and and the mindset is i guess um twofold on the one on the one hand it's very simple right so you're going to bring a team together, whatever the shape and size. You've got to keep it simple. You've got to speak in plain English. You've got to tell it how it is. If you know something's um, working, you've got to say. If you know it's not working, you've got to be honest in terms of, you know, what you can share around that, just respecting sort of privacy as well. But you've got to have that, you know, that ability to be firm, confident, but also vulnerable where you need to be. And it's a, it's a balance um, in terms of all of that. So 
So on the one hand, it's it's kind of a simple model and that's how you apply it. On the other hand, and the other side of me is, you know, having sort of collected three degrees, I, I studied imaginary numbers at university and learned all different sort of things and second order differentials, algebra and all sorts of things. You've got to apply that very specific math related um, view to your mindset, because as your team grows exponentially, the way you look at this system is is different. And, and you're always looking for the system view and you're always looking how the team fits together. But you're also looking at if I'm looking after a team of 10 in a small venture, that's different. Right? I'm going to have a cup of coffee with each of them. We can pull together as a team. We keep it on the ground. If you've got then a team that's, you know, 69,000 strong or whatever it might be, that's very different because your mindset is I've got to work this through other people. So you're never going to hit all 69,000 people all at once. You're just never going to do that. But what you are going to do is you are going to be able to have the time with your direct leadership team and build those relationships out with them. And clearly with a size that you're going to have a second order differential in terms of you're getting people to influence people to influence people. And that's where your values have really got to resonate out because they're amplifying and, and everybody's listening. Yeah, I love that. And 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 the, a couple of the, my big takeaways from that, Dax, which I'm going to return to in a sec, but it comes back to that big word of, of awareness again. You know, we've had as part of our leadership development for a while, but your team will typically be bad at the stuff that you're bad at. If they see you working in your senior role as a founder for 15, 16, 17 hours a day, guess what they're going to be doing? Because they, they, you know, people just, all right, that's the tone, is it? Off we go a lot of the time. However you might say, don't you dare work outside of your allotted hours. The reality is if they're getting an email from you at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, they're going to be doing the same thing. And that's got, it's a brilliant point in relation to being mindful of what are you actually role modeling? If you look at your day and how you conduct yourself, are you seeing the traits that you'd want to be seeing in people? Because if you're not, then good luck getting anyone else on board unless you're demonstrating that yourself. So that was a brilliant point. I, I love this um, and I'm hugely into the strengths finder model uh, and particularly sort of building into that. So building into strengths, understanding where your strengths are and where that sits. That doesn't mean to say you, you can't play into the other areas, you can. But if you're going to grow out the team at pace, then you're going to probably bring some people in that complement. And this is where I love the neurodiversity, equality, diversity um, sort of thing, because you, you're probably quite deliberately going to bring some people in that are different from you, as well as people that are similar from you. And you do that quite deliberately with the chemistry of the team. And that that means when you're recruiting, you're having these active conversations to say, actually, the heartbeat of the um, organisation, the function of the team is this. But also I'm recruiting you because of your ability to think through this. So if if the team rhythm is moving here and you spot it, don't necessarily copy it, but know that we've got a culture that's open enough so you can, you know, have that say and start to influence your um, heartbeat as well. So thinking about that in recruitment is very, very key and um, exemplifying that in the culture when someone's recruited in and inclusive and reinforcing it's okay to share different views is really important because you get to the heart of actually what's true in the team and what really works. There's a lot of respect for different cultures, clearly in a global organisation, respecting different religions as well and different time zones and all of those different things. There's an element of, you know, if you're going to do social things, you know, think about practicalities, but also quite openly acknowledge it might not hit the mark for absolutely everybody. Absolutely not only being listened to, but then actioned, but actually one of the things that our director of people and culture has been phenomenal at since she came in January has been, you said, we did, and it's 
people hearing that this is not just going on deaf ears. This isn't just, oh, the fruit happens to be there. I wonder if that was a fluke. Like, no, no, we've listened to you and now we're doing it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant example of that. That's one of the things that businesses are looking about continually at the moment is, and I think it's been a beautiful progression, especially over the last couple of years. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this also, but it seems like business organizations get and really care about how they can give back societally, how they can give back for their corporate social responsibility and how they want to be involved on impact and projects that actually really do good rather than just being a tiny little part of the website that no one ever reads and no one ever goes on. They've just got it there because, well, they have to do something in the area. Would, would you agree that there has been a decent shift in that direction? And secondly, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on, yeah, on, on, on some of the wonderful, uh, one of the societal impactful pieces that you've heard about in, in, in recent times that you'd like to share. Yeah, it's really interesting set of questions. I, I spend a lot of time on this and um, I lead a, a few industry groups around the same conversation. Um, in answer to your first part, yes, I do believe there's been a, um, a shift in society and certainly, um, you know, the number of board tables that talk about the ESG agenda, you know, that that's huge. Um, has there been enough of a shift? Um, I'm always going to question that because I think it's healthy to question that. Um, I see, uh, you know, in some of the board advisory um, and non-exec positions, I see some organisations have got quite a detailed action plan, uh, which is healthy. And particularly, you know, following the COP26, 27 type uh, forums as well, it's moving away from the hype of, um, you know, I've visited the COP event to actually I've sat down ethically and thought through with my leadership team and here's the plan for the next six months, 12 months, and here's how it relates to societal goals. So I've seen some organisations make that shift. I haven't seen all organisations make that shift, nor nor would I have sight of all organisations. But of the sample that I've looked at um, and worked with, that's definitely the case. And I, and I guess also there's a maturity in mindset in terms of approaching um, that societal agenda and that ESG agenda that sits from a governance and, and fiduciary um, duty perspective as well. And, and what I would say is some organisations are approaching it correctly. Um, some organisations, you know, need our help with their maturity model. And what I mean by that is um, I spent quite a bit of time with um, Harvard Business School looking at creating shared value for society and how that works and how that works with the framework that you put into an organisation and a lot of organisations approach the um, position from here's what I'm working on, here's what the firm's about, and here's what we're doing. And by the way, can it fit with the societal or ESG agenda? That is okay, but actually, it's fundamentally flawed as a methodology because it's about putting the societal piece in the centre of the cultural values, and that coming out from every person that's in the organisation. You know, it takes time for everybody to get into the uh, swing of all of that. But that's a different thing where you're taking that, you're embedding it into a code of conduct um, and a culture and also your oversight committees in the organisation also checking and balancing that. So that's a very, very different approach. Um, you know, and certainly when I work with uh, Michael Porter at Harvard, I mean, he, he was very um, adamant about this and he'd work with a lot of organisations. And I, I've got a lot of respect for that deep DNA based approach. Uh, so do all, all organisations see that? Um, I wouldn't say yet. Are we on the journey? I think we're always on the journey. Could we pivot at different times and shift our pivots? Absolutely. Um, and I think locally we are. Societally, there's more to do, which I think is the really exciting bit as well, actually. The biggest thing that jumped out to me, and um, again, let's talk about 
the only journey that I can really talk through is, is, is the experiences when you're small and in the mud and especially like ourselves, we didn't have any investment or any backing. It was simply a case of, wow, what can we create? Well, we can go and hopefully grow something. So your thought around these matters simply in the early days, let's be honest, I'll be honest, didn't exist. Just didn't exist. When you're small and just trying to get to next course and get to next year or get your first office, you're just in that kind of mode. But when you realize that you've got something which is going to have a future that is going to employ, that is going to give back to society, that's when you start thinking as someone that lives within it and hopefully is a decent human being, you go, huh, what are the areas that we care about? How are we going to go about doing this? But one of the things that I've spoken to a lot and, and, and been I've recognized in the business is where you go from a, a chapter, which is startup, and you, you go into a new chapter, and you're like, oh, hold up, hold up. We need to be looking at things in a different way. And I refer to it a lot as a blank piece of paper approach, Dax, where you go, where should we start? And I think that it can be too easy to go on a little bit of a tangent here, a little bit of a tangent there when it comes to these type of policies. If you're a business owner that's gone through growth, if you're a CEO that's in a new role or sat in a role and thinking, I don't really see how this joins together. How should people approach it? Like if, if you're, you're, you're advising in advisory capacity, Dax, and go, right, you're a CEO of a founder of a person business. You know you haven't done this as well as you could have done so far. What, what, where do people begin? Yeah, and I, th- I, I think the first place to begin is to really um, congratulate the person for recognising they're in a place that they know that they don't know because that's the first step of the journey, right? So well, as soon as you've done that, you know, the person relaxes and then goes, okay, so that's where we are. And, and we do that in life with every skill set. You know, when you learn to walk as a child, before you did that, you didn't know how to walk. So, you know, it, it's a really healthy thing to do. But as adults in society, we don't necessarily do that. I, th- I think the second part of it is, and, and you know, where we, where we work as global transform and certainly on the non-exec side of things as well, is providing a framework, an, an oversight framework to be able to step into that. So, you know, kind of, it, it's okay not to know a thing. In fact, sometimes it's quite good not to be the expert, but it's equally then okay to say, right, well, here's a framework in terms of how to frame the next growth stage of your business. So if you're talking to the CEO, typically, you know, and this is at this growth stage, you know, is, uh, in Global Transform, we would say at this gro- growth stage, these are the questions that we would recommend that you would be answering and talking about. And Typically, you know, there's a diagnostic into the business, not always a formal one. Um, a lot of it will be, you know, a few conversations and interviews. You get a, a good maturity sense into the business. And then really it, it's a very tailored bespoke plan to that um, business set of needs because it's about complementing what's already there and offer it, often uncovering what's there but needs to be stitched together in a very strategic sense rather than tactically and that's where you know we do come into our own around um, that advisory piece and 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 that really creates the relax so once everybody's kind of like oh we've got the framework it's okay then you're into a different because you've shifted the culture already because you've relaxed everybody and then people are working in a very guided way which then you know from a CEO perspective that's what you want and you want that stability to help the organization grow one of my most favorite phrases that I've learned in the last few years of reading and reading and reading has been um, that routine sets you free. One of the things you mentioned before that I'd really love to um, just have, have, a, have a few, uh, a couple more minutes on is you mentioned something which hasn't been spoken about in the last 16 months of this podcast. So naturally, I've got to ask some more about it. With someone with three degrees, <laughs> I think it'd be fairly easy to say, I think personal development is all about formal education. But the reality is the answer you gave was so awesome because it actually made you say, oh, yes, whilst incredibly important and valuable in so many guises, 
actually, that doesn't do too much in relation to the building up of a leader's awareness. How can leaders go about their development in relation to that all-important awareness? I mean, there's there's the awareness of where you are and there's what other people share around that. I, for me, other people are my eyes and ears as well. It's really helpful to get their feedback and it grounds you. Um, there's an, an awareness of your vision and where you want to take that. And that's very personal to each of us. And, and so that's where I do say you've got to work on the deep deep sort of personal work to be clear on that um and and then if you do that early on on in life that that you know becomes your dna really um and then then really you're kind of surfacing between the two what, what's coming out you know how how does that look and you know i'm a i'm a huge proponent of learning styles um so the work that i i um work on on social mobility is all around the fundamental belief that you know wherever you are whoever you are whatever your background, if you're at point A um, and you're prepared to put the work in and you want to get to point B and that's your target, it's a good, healthy target, fantastic. You've got every right to just as every other human being on the planet has to get from A to B. How you do that is a personal journey and how you choose that is partly down to how you put together. Uh, And what I mean by that is we all learn differently. So whether we go to university, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to, to do that, but whether you're, um, you know, in an apprenticeship scheme, whether you're learning on the job or all of those different things, um, it's all really important. And it's also important not to judge others by the way that they've learned. And I get I get a lot of views on that in society. You know, um, if you've learned one way, it doesn't mean to say that you're categorised as one type of person. You may have done that at one stage of life and you may learn in a different way at a different stage of life. So, for me, I did a quite a, little, uh, a lot of work around learning styles. Um, for me, I'm kinesthetic, and, and that's quite a posh word, isn't it? But what it means is I learn in lots of different words. So, you know, I, I'll read a book very quickly. Um, I'll be on the job. I'll, I'll, I'll read through, you know, osmosis and picking up through the environment. I'll go and talk to lots of people. Um, yes, I want to formalise it with a degree or with a coaching qualification, whatever it is. But I learn in all of those styles. That's my style. I know me and that's that's OK and that's good with me. If you learn in a different style and you don't want to do three degrees, it doesn't really matter. That's your learning style and your navigational model. But know your model. You know, my belief is respect to the people's model. And if it's different, that's their navigational model. And we're all good. Yeah. And hopefully, as you alluded to you, you know, earlier as well, Dax, there should be great strength in having a leadership team that have come about in different ways if you just get a load of oxbridge phds in a room together a, a pretty good outcome in lots of ways but it will be a probably a fairly you know a one way two ways of thinking about do, doing that exactly things whereas if you have people that have taken that i really like that phrasing of that different kind of learning journey so to speak and i i, I think that uh, that's where proper diversified thinking can come about so yeah I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it how how well have you managed to make sure that you do that stopping and checking back for perspective over time dax how how do you know how do people that do it well ensure that their leaders do the same thing also so i mean number one i don't i don't always get it right so let, let's start there i don't always get it right um number two um i mean it, it's a different set set of things so um i meditate quite a lot i've done that more more as i've, I've sort of matured through life as well um so that that's really important I'm more deliberate about putting time in now to do nothing because how many people go into their calendar, I'm going to put time in to do nothing. 
I, I mean, it's easy to block time out to speak to person A, B, and C. So I do a lot more of that. I wouldn't say I'm perfect either at that, but I deliberately go, actually, this is nothing time. Um, and I, I do believe in today's connected world, it's really important to create that space. And, you know, I'm, I'm a great proponent of reading books as well, one of my learning styles, but um, there's a fantastic book by Nancy Klein called Time to Think, uh, which unlocks all of this. Um, and also there's another fantastic book by um, Stephen Covey, which talks about the seven habits of highly effective leaders and people and, and families as well. And that talks about, you know, one of those seven traits is around what he calls around sharpening the saw and being able to create that time to regenerate yourself, to refresh yourself and all that side of things. So there's a lot of literature out there. Again, it's back to what we talked about earlier and getting routines in place and all of those things. And as life shifts, your routine shifts. So you've got to re-routine yourself into your next life shift. So, um, again, that's where the medica- meditation comes in very strongly. Uh, my assistant's been excellent at attempting to keep my time free. And I think what I've got to do is actually give her the full rights to, for me not be, to be able to book anything in my calendar, Dax, because what I do all the time is go, oh, lovely, a bit of me time. I couldn't catch up with that person earlier. I'll do it then because I'm like, that was free time for me. No, Pete, that's not free time for you. That is for you, not for other people <laughs> because you, you, we've got a, we've got our ethos is empowered people to succeed, Dax. So therefore, maybe I'm trying to live that a little bit too literally. And the reality is if, uh, if I'm not doing that for myself, then um, yeah, you, you just don't get the benefit of sitting there like meditation does. And I know for you and so clearly so many people of just stopping. <laughs> and allowing everything just to slow down a moment to make sure that everything is as it should be. So, yeah, I think some cracking learns there indeed. Um, Dax, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your leadership learns with us today. I'm sure there's going to be lots that resonates with listeners and like me, we'll be taking lots of scribble down practical ideas away. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share it with others in your network. Thanks again, Dax. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers, Peter.